slowing verbs like a turtle, murky fool, like squirtling cake rule. Cold blood is with the strong scheme. I'm a boss. Flip the coin, toss the straws. I'm out of loss. How my brains get busted, slinging lettuce into cup. This is That Got Me Thinking, and I'm Ellie Newman. This week, I've been thinking about visual goal setting. I've been thinking about the process of creating and sustaining change. I've been thinking about our deepest fears around actually creating the things we desire and how we make the trip from here to there once we've mapped out the destination and made the leap to head off with full force of intention and desire. I've been thinking about the nitty-gritty of what lies between concept and applied mechanics. I've been thinking about my previous conversation with Patty Dobrovolsky and her business leadership tool of the future, Drawing Solutions, How to Up Your Creative Genius. Thank you so much, Patty, for joining us again on the show. Hi, Ellie. I can't believe that I'm here. It's so awesome. I loved being on your show before, and I just am so happy to be back. It, it was Thank great you. having you again because we didn't get to all the topics last time, and I'm fearful that that may occur once again. I realized I have way too many pages and notes, but we're going to dive in, and we'll see, we'll see where we get. That sounds great. So Patty is a change agent, armed with imagination, vision, and magic markers. Any sort of colored pen will do. Received her MA in psychology with an emphasis in drama therapy from the California Institute of Integral Studies, a member of the National Speakers Association. She's a TEDx featured speaker, has multiple business award winner, and past Broadway performer. So Patty, in our last show, we spoke quite a bit about goal setting and the basics of strategic illustration and activating change. Um, but I just want to start, if you wouldn't mind, with just your, your uh, elevator pitch on exactly what it is for those of the listeners who didn't hear the first show. Yeah, if you haven't, um, didn't tune in the last time, um, I've worked on a process for a number of years, which I call the snapshot of the big picture. And it's where you actually take a piece of paper, and if we're working in business, we put a big piece of paper up on the wall, or we use the whiteboard, or if it's just you in your home, um, working on your own business plan, or your business development, or even your personal life, you put that piece of paper, and on the left side, you put your current reality, and you capture in words and pictures what it's like to be you right now, both what's going well and what's challenging, and then on the right, you capture the desired new reality, what you want that future to be. And um, you capture that in words and pictures. And then between the two pieces, you put your three boldest steps. And so we, we shared that process and how you can do it. And there's lots of information on my website, Up Your Creative Genius, for you to go to and get that. Um, so, But that's just a snapshot of what I've been doing with companies and teams um, to get their vision out there because, you know, even the research they were talking about today at the neuroscience conference um, that they're having, uh, they were talking about how important it was to have a picture of the future and to know where you were. But it was important to have a picture of the future so you knew exactly what the target was and your brain could begin to close the gap between. And why a visual format? Why does that create change uh, faster, materialize the, the desired goal more quickly? Well, part of it is that your imagination sequences things in pictures. So when you see anything, your imagination creates a picture of it, and then it builds a story based on a sequence of pictures. And then you sort of daydream really what that reality would be. And out here in this world, when we draw a picture, it actually keeps us aligned and focused. And there's a number of pieces of research that have been done about 
um, when you draw a picture of something that it accelerates the change happening by, you know, it's about 74%. So, um, and part of that is related to how our brain structures things in this story format. And how have you experienced the difference between something like Shakti Gwain's creative visualization, where they're inner pictures, versus actually physically constructing these outer pictures? Well, I think the fun part is that, you know, I, I hacked myself around inner pictures all the time because I had this experience where I envisioned myself on Broadway and then it happened. And I was so shocked by the whole thing because it was such it was so like out of left field that I thought, okay, something happened in that process. So I think that the natural thing that we do is we create in our imagination, these pictures of the future, but because the brain has so much information jumping onto the prefrontal cortex at all times, you know, trying to make decisions about things, those images of the future sort of get lost if you don't concretize them into a visual out here that you can actually see. They'll just fall into the fray of things that we think are nice, but we won't continue to focus on them. And the visual out here helps you focus your brain. You talked about hacking yourself, ourselves and yourself when we spoke last time. Um, What does that mean exactly to hack yourself? Well, um, you know, I, I think I, uh, when you think of a hacking conference, what are they doing at a hacking conference? You know, they're trying to come up with, I don't know. I'm imagining people with axes and lumbers. (laughs) I love that. Um, well, there's a really great show that Lisa Ling did, you know, she has this sequence of specials, but she just did one on Silicon Valley and the hackathons. Because a hackathon is where you put a bunch of people in a room and under a constraint period of time, you ask them to create new software innovations, right? So they write code in there. And so they call it hacking to kind of get in there and get to the meat of things. Well, um, and it's just like testing and trying. And so to me, when I'm talking about hacking myself, I'm trying, I'm testing, you know, like I try things all the time. Like, I don't know about you, but I try different foods. What, what would this do in my system? How do I respond? How does my brain perform better? If I have a lot of bread and pasta, my brain just doesn't activate as well. It doesn't work as well. I'm sluggish and tired. And that's just because of the makeup of it. It might be because of the GMO seed that the corn is made of or flour, you know. I mean, it just goes on and on. So I try to, everybody, I think, should be actually hacking themselves all the time to see what works, what makes you a better performer in the world so you can be at your best at all times. And and I think that that is not as typical as it would be fortuitous to be, that people aren't always sort of paying attention to the things they're doing or the things they're eating or the things they're even saying or thinking and how that's making them feel and sort of making that connection on a regular basis. And creating their reality, right? So that's the other piece of it is that what what you think about becomes your reality, um, what you believe about something becomes, it, that's about your perception of things and how it forms and shapes your relationship with other people and the world around you. And you talked a little bit before about interfering with ourselves. Um, is, how are, when, I, when you talk about that, what comes to mind of the ways that we are in our own way? 
Well, I think the biggest thing, don't you, is that um, it's around fear. So what we fear is based on, uh, it's a construct of what we've experienced and what we, um, we and the, it always comes back to, will I be liked? Will they like me? <laughs> It's, it's, it, it's true. I heard yeah. a, an interview with Oprah and she had said the one question out of, you know, 30 years of interviews that she had answered for herself was that what people want, they, you know, no matter who it was said, was that okay? You know, yeah. am I okay? Was that okay? Did I do good? Yeah, exactly. And I think the, um, I was listening to this woman, Victoria Lara, speak yesterday, and she was telling these amazing stories, and one of them will be in a blog post I write today, but she was talking about that she had had a heart attack, and in the heart attack, um, she had an, you know, an inner experience, right, when she was unconscious, and in that experience, she saw a lineup of all the people that she had had contact with in her entire life, and through these all this service that she's done, or her family, or her children who had died, um, they were in this vision, right? And then in the center was this scale, and it was a love scale, and that you person would stand on that scale, and then it would show how much they uh, love they gave to you, and how much love you gave to them, and I think. Wow, you know, that puts everything in perspective when we're thinking about ourselves. We have to love ourselves enough to know that what we have is of value so that we can really serve at the highest level. And how valued our connections are to others. I, I heard a guy this morning, a Cubs fan, talking about what it was like to experience the Aww. win. And he burst <laughs> into tears and said, all I kept thinking about was all the people who I've loved in my life and who weren't here with me to, to see it and, you know, and, and experience yeah. it with me. And, you know, he, he just been, you know, any listener probably burst into tears right along with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's an amazing thing. And I was thinking before I fell asleep and I was thinking, you know, the amazing thing when you have something like that happen is that it brings the consciousness together. So we're unified in a way. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's what war does for people. It brings us all together. Um, and so if we can find ways to bring ourselves together in service, uh, in service to the world in a way that's not destructive, I think that's the goal. And so... And to me, that that's the goal of goal setting for yourself is you are bringing together in service to the world all the things that you desire, that you could serve the world with by being your best self or living your best life or having the things that will make you um, feel confident and uh, capable. I, th I think you've hit it. It's fear and it's fear of not being okay and not, not connecting, not being loved. And also this idea of deserving, which I think is very ingrained in our culture, that we don't deserve these good things unless we've worked for them. And even then, maybe we don't because really we're just a fraud. So no matter how hard we work, we don't deserve them. Yeah. I, you know, recently, I, I, so I worked with a couple of companies this week, like three of them all very different experiences, but all had this same common theme where I decided that I was going to go into the room and completely like be myself. Like this is my thing always. I figure if I can demonstrate being fully myself in the room with people in these big businesses, that they'll go away and be validated for being themselves. And they'll try and test 
And so I provide an environment in the room for them to be themselves. So of course it was Halloween, right? So I brought in all these props into the room when I was running an offsite. And I, I just, you know, one was a big, like, you know, those fake butcher knives, right? I brought in one of those and a big hatchet and a wrench and, you know, some of the, a, a big shield. And then I asked everyone to engage with them or choose the thing that was on the table that represented them. So that's where the conversation starts. And then we talk about, well, why is that? And how can we unravel that? And then how can you get to work together better as a team to achieve those, those desired new reality components that you want? You talked before a little bit, and, and this uh, shines a light on it again, the idea of rebooting the self, of shifting our energy and perspective and sort of scaring ourselves enough to shift out of a pattern. Yeah. So what yeah. talk about, in connection with that, the idea of the three boldest things aspect. And, and why is it important to focus on the qualities and characteristics in, in that versus the specifics? Well, um, the, the qualities and characteristics, I think, is um, more, and so maybe this was just a piece that I was confused, confusing in what I said earlier, but I think the qualities and characteristics of the desired new reality is important. So when you're envisioning your best possible future, you want to go for the qualities and characteristics you want there, because that is what you... Um, that allows the universe and everything that you know and uh, have dreamed about to come in and sift in in the concrete. So I start in the room by having people identify the qualities and characteristics that you want. You want to be more creative or you want to be more of yourself or you want to be have more abundance. You want to have, you know, team alignment, whatever it is, those things. Then I let them put the specifics in there if it's important to them. But I go back to the three bold steps, and this gets to the piece around fear. You want to scare yourself a little bit in the bold step because without it scaring you, without the possibility of failure in there, you actually don't really make good change. You don't continuously change yourself. You just go back to the tried and true because that's how the amygdala works, right, in your brain. It wants you to always go back to what we know because it's safe there. It's safe. And when you say quality and characteristic, I want to just define it a little more specifically in that is it the internal experience of the individual? Like yeah. I was thinking about someone saying, you know, if they were talking about the a new partner they're looking for, a romantic partner, and the idea of instead of saying, oh, I want someone who has a great job and who's tall, <laughs> you know, what, you know, owns their own home, what are the qualities that those specific things represent for you that you actually are, are, are what you're looking for? Yeah, and I think that's very important, and here's why. Um, because I might want a really great house or something like that. I might want to own my own home. Like somebody said yesterday in a session, they said, own my own home, right? And so I put a house with a sold sign. But really what you want in there is you want a place. You want your own place so that you can infuse it with your creativity, and or whatever it is that for you, maybe for that person, it might have meant security. But the piece of it that's important is you have to connect how you feel to that vision of the future, because the feeling is the desire 
that fuels the drive when things get really tough, right? So if you figure the creative genius equation is imagination times intuition plus desire times drive equals outcome to the infinity, then you know that you can dream up something. Your intuition will tell you, oh, of those five things, this one's going to be great. And let's try that first. And then you add your feeling to it, your feeling of, oh, I imagine myself there and what's it look like and feel like, have that sold thing and the paperwork, my, my house, it's mine and I can go in and paint the walls, whatever I want. And I can leave my junk around and I don't have to worry about if I damage the floors, you know, whatever. And then I'm going to have to work on that stuff, right? That whole thing gives you the biggest outcome. So let's talk a little more in depth about the brain and the brain's role in, in this and our relationship with our brain. Um, so you had said the brain doesn't know the difference between less and more of something. Right. And the brain is sequencing and filling in gaps in our story. How critical are the influencers that we're exposed to just sort of on a daily basis, the, the thoughts in our head, movies, books, and, and media coverage that we're getting about the, the state of the world? Uh, you know, I think, remember that everything that you see here and experience, your brain believes you did. So you, if you want to make sure that you're clear as a, as a person in the world in service, right? And so my assumption is, well, how can I serve at the highest level? So that's why I hack myself around what's going to work and what's not, because I need to make sure that whatever's going in is going to be something that I want to use going out. And my brain is going to go in there. And for me, like, yeah, I love, I know that people love the show, like The Walking Dead, stuff like that. I can't really watch that because to me, I don't know, I don't know what to do with all that in my brain. I, I know that that is going to impact how I feel. It impacts my sleep or my dreams. It impacts. So, and I think we're not really conscious of that. And it's not like, that's not the piece that gets studied a lot and talked about because, um, <laughs> you know, AT&T bought, is buying Time Warner, right? So at the big media level, nobody wants you to stop listening to or seeing or watching these things because um, they don't, that's where they make money, right? But you've got to know, you have to be the filter for what goes in so that what comes out is of the greatest quality that you can bring, if that's important to you. And if it's not, you know, the world is all about freedom. So you get to make the choice. I like the term filter. I was thinking about a uh, TED Talk I had heard by Sean Aker, and um, it was about our perceptual lens and that we had it backwards in regard to success and happiness and that we keep thinking, oh, we'll be happy once we're successful and that we actually have to reconstruct that lens. And I had seen, I was going to ask you what you had draw, were drawing this morning and I saw on your board behind you when we first started our conversation, uh, the word success. Yeah. So, so what do you think about the, you know, we have the filter and then we also have this, the, which is, is similar to the lens, but this, this, the lens seems to be more our beliefs about how things work. 
Yeah, I think, um, well, and if we think about how, um, well, I was just, I, you know, this morning, I was reading stuff from the um, neuro leadership, they're having a conference right now. So I'm, I'm listening to the live stream, you know, watching the Twitter feed, because there are interesting things that the neuroscientists are talking about. And one of the things that they were saying, or one of the quotes that a guy from Harvard said is the brain doesn't learn from experience, it learns from reflecting on experience, right? So um, it doesn't just, this is why education is so important of yourself. You have an experience, but if you don't go back and dissect the experience, then you don't actually um, move yourself forward in your own conscious awareness of what the experience was. Because we have thousands of experiences every day, right? And so that woman who uh, told the story of the love scale, right? I kept thinking about that, like, what what would that be like if I actually use that in my world? Like, I thought, how much, how much attention am I giving to Ellie right now in this, um, in this interview? And how can I make it an exchange in which you, as the um, listener, can have even bigger experience. Well, that's, if I'm just constantly in the experience, it will be so much better, right? And so success is like that. You have your beliefs about what success is, but they're based generally on the past. And you have to reform them all the time as you learn. That's what, that's what consciousness is about, is it's the expansion of self, right? Well, and it's it's also exactly what you mentioned before, this idea of fear and then trusting that when you went to that corporate meeting, you decided you were going to show up as yourself, as fully and completely as possible. And it's the same thing in our conversation. How willing are we, you know, and how risky is that for us both to show up as our authentic selves? And what would that dialogue be like as compared to if we're we're really holding back or presenting what we feel is acceptable rather than... Right. Or, you know, like um, that we look good. Right. So this is the thing. We go back to this Oprah concept. You right? do that look good, you though, want- Patty. I just <laughs> want to say when we first went, I'm like, she looks so cool. Her hair is good. These glasses. She's oh, got yes, that yes. like totally hip sweatshirt going on. <laughs> yeah. And I just think that part of it, too, is that I want I don't I try not to filter myself. Mm-hmm. And I that's tough. Mm-hmm. So uh, on occasion, you know, I'll be on stage and I'll swear at the room and then I'll catch myself and I'll think, oh, do I really want to do that? And then I'll say that to the audience. Oh, I feel bad about that. You know, I'll be transparent because transparency is what gets us to a deeper conversation. And for me, the other thing is if I'm not having fun in the room with people, I don't want to be there anymore. I just don't. I want you to have fun. I want to have fun, right? Like the things that you talk about or the questions you ask, they're engaging, they're interesting. They, they'll get me to think more deeply. And so that's what I want to try to be is to, I'm mean, going to learn a little from that. And I'll think, ooh, you know, it's like that book, um, The Better Question. That's not the most beautiful question. You know, there's a book out right now and it's really a great book because it gets us into that curiosity and that curiosity is what fuels us thinking about new things, new things and how we can take those new things and and try those new things, you know, but I just think it's it's fun. 
but you have to make it fun. So let's talk about a, a lifetime of sleeping versus a lifetime of being awake. And what are the steps of waking up? Yeah, well, what would you say is the step, one of the steps of waking up? I'm curious what you would say, and then, then I'll fill in. I, I would say the first step is to pay attention to your life. I think that that's something that we either, most people aren't doing really much of at all, or that we all lose sight of at um, various points of our day. Yeah, I love that. And I, and I think um, this idea uh, of that quote, right, is that you reflect on the experience. So you become self-aware. Um, that's one piece of it, like aware of what you're eating and its impact on you, aware of what you're saying and its impact on what happens. Like, you know, um, uh, this, my favorite thing is around gossip because man, gossip just comes back. So and it's so dramatic and you can see it. And this is one thing that I love to watch because I'll be in a conversation with somebody and then suddenly I'll say something and you can feel it in your body. When you're, when you're going into that delicate territory and you're talking about someone else in a way that I think is creating kind of a, a weird bond to that experience, right? And so you get this gut feeling like, and I say to myself, sometimes I'll say out loud, ah, I just can't talk about this because if I do talk about it, I'll go home and have that experience with my partner. If I'm talking about somebody in their relationship I'll go home and, you know, in a minute, I'm going to have a fight at home that's just like what I talked about. Or if I'm in a, I was having an experience and I was sharing with a client something in a company that I had experienced, but I actually named the name of the company. And I, in the moment, I thought, uh-oh, can, did you really just say that? And I said, crap, I did. And I'm worried, you know, and then later I'm like, oh, God, now what? And then I saw the effects of it in, in the relationship with that client. I ended up like doing all these things for free that how how did that happen? So I ended up almost losing money on working with that client after that experience. And I thought, do you see? There it is. So right I there. think That's right that. there, you're, you're noticing the cause and effect, right? And you're right. trusting your internal response to it. And I think that's a big piece. And I think the next thing I would say is, you've got a question. I've got a bumper sticker that says, don't believe everything you think. And I think right. it goes beyond that. Don't believe everything you think. And also, you know, you've, you've got to have the word maybe in your head. You know, maybe, and that there's constant change. Well, I used to like that, and that used to make me feel good, and I used to want to have that in my life, but do I now? You know, right. what is true for me, really true for me, versus what do I think is true for me? That's right, and I was uh, also, too, I think how, what you say is important. So you want to, mm -hmm. as you're raising your awareness about what you eat and what you watch and how you behave with people, you want to watch what you say to yourself, because what you say to yourself really predicts your experience, right? So, and they've done hundreds of studies on that with kids in schools and et cetera, but you can hack yourself around it. You know, if you say, oh, this meeting is going to go great, even if you're worried a little bit about it, try, try saying that to yourself. This is going to be great. And imagine yourself walking out the door at the end of the meeting thinking, wow, that was amazing. Okay. 
versus going in and saying, oh, my God, I'm going to that meeting again. This is going to be a nightmare. And watch what you experience. Because what you say about yourself, about the experience, but about yourself is even more powerful. Like if you say, people say to me all the time, I can't draw. Like, really? Okay. So um, th- there you go. Yeah, now you can't. <laughs> well, and, and, and I, I like to reframe it. And I say, don't you? I say to people, maybe in the past you couldn't draw, but right now we're going to experiment with you drawing. Well, and it gets tricky, right? And it's about owning your power and the the comfortable, the level of, of comfort with that. And, you know, some people go through life saying, I'm going to set my expectations really low so I'm not disappointed. And then I think also people go through life saying, you know, that wouldn't be humble. Or if I really, you know, there's that great quote about um, who are you, and, you know, I'm, I'm misquoting it, but not to let your light shine so brightly. Um, yeah, yeah, and and I think that is a, a real struggle for for a lot of people, and in different aspects of their lives, you give permission to yourself in some areas and and not in others. Yeah, and I think that that um, you know that's programming from uh, the generation that we came from, right? And uh, the generations that were before us, and before us, and before us, because there, I, I think our level of awareness, I. I you know, somebody said, so I read something and it was about, if you say that you're humble, you really aren't you're pretending, <laughs> you know, you're pretending, um, because there are some qualities and characteristics that other people, you can think that about yourself, but it's good to test it and see like, really, are you? Because the ego is so heavily engaged. And, and I'm not and- sure I'm a fan of being humble. Um, you know, I'm always telling my daughter from the time she was born how fabulous she is and how, you know, beautiful and, and talented. And I, Yes. I, then uh, Victoria's yesterday, she was saying that she was in a classroom and a young girl, a kid, her son was is about eight. And so this girl in the classroom ran up to her and um, at, when she was leaving. And she said, oh, did you want to just come see me? She said, no, I wanted to hold the door open for you. And she said, oh, thank you very much. And then she said, and the Victoria said to this girl, you are so beautiful. And she said, I know it. I know it. And yes. Yes. We should be, right? That's what we want is to say, yes, I am beautiful. Absolutely. Because that's, that's standing in your power you got to believe that. And it's the root. I mean, I'd say that's the root of all evil. You know, you look at any study that back 30 years that was looking at gang violence and gang involvement, and you look at what's happening all over the world. If people felt good about themselves and thought that they were beautiful and okay, just as they were, I think we'd be in a very different world. Yeah. Agreed. All right, so we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and talk about the role of the imagination. This is great. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking, and I'm talking to Patty Dobrovolsky, and we'll be back in just a minute. This is KDPI 88.5 FM, Ketchum, community-supported radio. All right, Patty, we're back. This is Ellie Newman on That Got Me Thinking. I'm talking with Patty Dobrovolsky. And Patty, I want to talk about the role of the imagination. You had said don't allow your imagination free reign. 
and that we have to serve, that it's always in operation and that we have to use it consciously. I'm wondering if that strikes you as an oxymoron or not. It really does. Well, when you say that, I'm like, I said that really? Oh gosh, that sounds, that sounds a uh, very pinching at the end, but what what no, I, mean I think that. it's good. I think you've got <laughs> yeah, these wild horses and you're throwing the reins around them. That's right. That's and, right. And or, have, or you don't realize them being in charge. Yeah. And it's all part of us, right? So we're well, right. I don't, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll find myself. So this is, and my best example is when I lived in the Bay Area and I would drive in to um, work in San Francisco from Oakland. And I'd be going across the Bay Bridge and then I'd think things like, I wonder what would happen if the Bay Bridge fell. Like, what would I do? Would I roll down my window and jump out? Would I like, will the water crash in? Will I, will I have time to think? Will I, would I turn around and drive back on the bridge? What, what would I do? You know, like that. So to me, that's like that. <laughs> and then I would just stop Well, that's myself. exercising the imagination muscle though. I think that's got its well, place as well. Well, for sure it does. But then I would say, Ah, uh, I don't really need to have that experience. I would say out loud in the car to myself, I don't really need to have the experience. I'm just imagining that experience, right? So that I'm aware and I let my imagination know, hey, um, okay, we're running amok now. Let's focus on more, you know, positive, you know, focus on things that are going to move us forward, right? And so, I think that the great thing about the imagination is that those are the, um, it's the, these are, it allows you to try things on with this what if picture scenario, right? Like what if this happened? What if that happened? And all of that stuff is a way that your imagination plays and is the way that the imagination guides you and steers you, but without your intuition about what is the right direction. So um, I can brainstorm a million things, right? Or not a million, that's an exaggeration, but I can brainstorm many things, solutions to certain situations. And when I'm brainstorming like that, I like to put them up. I put them on three by five cards. I put them up on the wall. And then I look at that and then I let my intuition guide me to the one that I think will be the best either for the client or for myself if I'm doing it for me or the situation, and so I think your imagination, it really does, um, it's a vehicle for your success, right? It's the engine of what you do, behind what you do. And it's always in operation. And you just want to make sure that you're using it. <laughs> you know, use it for what you want and need. It will, it'll, it'll do anything you want. We can imagine anything. I imagine that studio that you're in and, you know, you see a picture of somebody in Skype and you think about, well, what's the rest of that space look like, right? So you can imagine the future in that same way. You can step yourself into it and you want to have a picture of what it is you want. You want to take what your imagination is giving you and put it into a form that you can see and finesse. And it's part of the filter of the observation, right? So it's going to be doing its job. It's going to be filling in the gaps. So right. you want to be sort of connected with how it is doing that. Right. And consciously awake to it, right? Then now we're, we're talking about that piece about being awake. You want to be awake when your imagination is taking you down and off the slippery slope. You know, the slippery slope is the one that takes you down into the thing where I'm not good enough. And I won't be, this won't go well. 
that's where we want to avoid, right? So we have to pull ourselves away from the cliff and then we focus on the light, like what's going to take us to the best case scenario. So I want to talk a bit about how we can train ourselves to do that, right? Because that's how we can train ourselves to do something new and different. And, and I want to talk about the mechanics of that. And you briefly described drawing the picture, that you've got your current state and then your desired reality and then the three bold steps. So after we spoke last time, I thought, all right, I'm going to do this. And I had some questions that came up. So we'll just kind of start with those and, and, and go from there. So you draw your picture and you tell yourself it's okay. <laughs> One of those people that didn't think I was a very good drawer. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, that's, all, that's all right. Um, I'm, 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 it is reflecting the feeling of what I'm trying to create. So I was pretty proud of myself. But as I went through um, the next few days and was looking at the picture, um, of, of, I realized after about a week that my current had shifted. I wasn't quite to the desired, but my current wasn't actually reflecting what my current stage was anymore. Right. Because so, so, you'd already begun the journey into the so, desired reality. So what do you reality? do with that? Well, so that's, that's a really good question because I think here's what I do is, uh, you know, sometimes I don't even look at the current reality side. Once I've put it up there, remember the brain now thinks it's the past. And so it's history. It's not in operation in that anymore because the way that the brain works is it auto focuses on the desired new reality. So it's already got the train moving towards that. It's already moving you in that place. So if we went and we did the current reality and we looked at what you had done originally, I'm sure that you were like, uh, I don't know how to describe this, but you're sort of light years away from that already. Once you put it up on the wall, because the pull from the desired new reality activates all the things you know that will be coming to you or that you are going to take action on. So it already gets rolling. That's why the image is in some way an accelerator. Because there was, when I would look at it, there would be this cognitive and emotional dissonance. And I thought, oh, but I'm not sure what to, to do with it. So just take it off. Right. Okay. And then the taking right. action part. So we, we're going to now learn that we once we've got the current, it's already passed, and so out it goes. And we're focusing on our now our desired. Um, and there we've got these three bold steps, and with it, these daily actions that we connect. How does that shift as we go through the evolution toward the desired state? Well, I think the bold steps are something to get you going right away, Right. And so I'm never attached to what my bold steps say unless I, I, there's always one that I think is the one and the other two sort of are subsets in, in the way that I've experienced this and what people have done and said. And so I allow myself to take action. And then as soon as I think that thing is going and moving, then I figure out, okay, well, let's make that a little bolder. How, how could I re-bold it? And I might even put a secondary bold step right there because I've already done that in the case of, okay, so let's say um, you, didn't, you uh, didn't like the work that you were doing and on the right side of your map, you've got freedom to do the work you love, right? 
And so you know you're going to quit your job. That's, that's one of your bold steps. And so guess what? Next day you decide, oh my God, I'm just going to do this right now. I know I should have a bigger plan. Some people do it this way. Some people get the plan together and the money together and all that. Or some people have it in place, right? But you quit your job. Okay, well, that bold step's done. Now what we want to do is to create the world we want, right? So then I would just create another bold step that's not there or the next step that I would take. And when my, even my desired new reality is starting to manifest and it's happening, I will do a completely new map or maybe a map on just one piece of that. Because remember, the visual is the accelerator. And so when I create a picture, I'm going to motivate myself. I'm going to get, give myself the confidence to do it. And then I'm going to have an action plan. It, it tells me what I'm going to do right now, right? I'm clear about that. And this interaction happens at the same time that the outer action is happening. So let's talk a little bit more about the mini maps that okay. you create on the right side and what yeah, so, you use those for. Okay, for so get, let's it say... It like those were kind of to help get roadblocks out of your way. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, in my case, the, the example I gave in the book is that I was a bike racer and I, you know, I, I thought I'd done everything right, you know, and then, but I didn't really understand the, really the mechanics of good time trialing. So I did a map just on that one thing that I wanted to do well. Um, or if I want to go in and I feel like I do a mini map every time I work with a client that is somewhat complicated. And then, so I have this picture in my mind of what I think the best result might be for the client based on what they tell me. So I draw like out this picture of the right side. And then I take one thing, which is maybe it's the team dynamic or it maybe in your personal life, it's your relationship. And I do a map just on that, like what's happening now and where do I want that to be a year from today? And maybe I'll even do that mini map. I'll do it with my partner and say, okay, look at this. And you tell me what you think is happening right now. And let's be real about it. And let's be real about what we want. And then let's figure out how to close the gap between the two. So we step into that. And a mini map is just a small section of the right side. You take one of those concepts and you create a map just for it of where it is right now and where you want it to be. So you build it out with more um, a definition. And what does the bridge look like between this envisioning and drawing and creating and interacting with our our maps and, and getting rid of interferences and re redoing the equations over and over again to experiment and sort of feel what's really going on and what we really want to going out into the world, um, taking this vision and then going out into the world and where where is your focus sort of once you get out there and and the what you're noticing is happening and and how you're then sort of carrying it through I love that's such a good question cuz you know you can do that map in the comfort of your home or your office and you could all you're all safe in there and then you go out in the world and and life is complicated but here's the fun part is that you made the map so what I do is I take a picture of that map with my phone and then I put that as my screensaver, right? So that when I turn my phone on, there's my map. There's the things on the right side of my map and the bold steps that I'm going to take, right? And I'll blow it up a little with, you know, expand it with my fingers so I could see like, what was that? Oh, yeah. 
And if I'm sitting, you know, um, waiting for somebody or I'm in line somewhere, I'll look at that picture that I've got and I'll keep focusing on that thing that I'm, I'm moving towards. And then I look at the world around me and I look at my experiences. And before I go to sleep at night, I have a little tiny, you know, I don't keep a journal there in the morning is when I do my main writing. But at night, I have a little tiny book where I look at and I write down all the things that happen and I'm grateful for them, whatever they are. But in that, I've learned something. I've learned something about what actually the world brought me as a result of my map, as a result of the goals that I set. And that can work whether or not you believe in some sort of universal power or you feel like that's ridiculous and, and the universe does not have your back. As Gabrielle Bernstein's new book says, yes, it does. But if you don't believe that there's any greater source out there, it, it seems that this can still work just as well because you then have these specific actions that you're reflecting on that you took that then changed your circumstance during the day. Well, and I, and yes, I, yes, absolutely. And I think what's true is don't take it from us. Go and try it yourself. If you believe the world works in a very concrete way and that there's nothing out there that's operating on your behalf, test, test things. Try it. Go out on a limb. If you, you know, break with your belief system just for a second to see, like, is it true? Like, show me. I, I, don't, I don't take anybody's word for stuff. I always say, show me and do it in such a way that I can really get it. Like, do it three times in a major way. If this is the right direction for me to take my life, I want you to show me. And it's so dramatic that I cannot miss it, right? So let's shift our conversation to corporations because corporations and, and big companies and organizations have very specific beliefs about their operational cultures, their corporate cultures, how things work, how things need to work. Are they willing, have you found, to draw an accurate picture of their current state and to admit problems and, and deficiencies? I think yes. Um, it, it's easy for them to draw the current state. It really is because people like to complain. <laughs> and so the current state sometimes is a, it's a clean, it's like um, taking Windex. We're going to first, we're going to spray all these things out that we are experiencing. And then we're going to clean it up because the, but seeing it does this weird thing. It makes it such that you can see it all there in front of you. And then now it's out there and everybody feels aligned and, and they feel somewhat validated and then we can let it go. And so if you're doing this with your company, everybody's scared at this point when I say, okay, we're going to let them tell us about the current reality, what's going well, what's challenging. They're all like, oh my God, they're going to just go down the slippery slope and everybody's going to start complaining. And I go, okay, well, why don't we see what happens? Because my experience in, uh, as a change agent, right, is that until you let people tell the truth about what they're feeling inside, they never let it go. They'll just keep feeling the same feeling. But if you let them express it and you are present to their expression of it, they feel better. 
they feel heard, they feel validated. And so that piece is important to do before you do the desired new reality. And in corporations, I enforce a break after current reality because we have to reset. And then I say, now we're going to hit the reset button because we're stepping into the future. So this now is our history. We know it. And I appreciate you telling the honest truth about it. Now, um, let's say we're in a room where there isn't a level of trust, because this is what you're talking about, I think. I am. I'm talking about this process takes trust and um, a willingness to be vulnerable. And if you're in a working situation, you've got hierarchical positions, you've got politics, you've got your defined roles. Yeah, and I think part of it is that if we're sitting in a big group and I'm having you call that out to me and I'm capturing it on a picture, it's never going to happen. But here's how I do it. I put people in groups, small groups, and I have them write it on a post-it note. Then it's anonymous. And then they come up with a common theme. Two to three things of the current reality, some that are going well, some are challenging. And then one person will bring those to the forefront. So it's um, we mix them all up together. They affinity group them. They bring them to the front of the room. We affinity group and we find some themes. But you don't get to see whose handwriting wrote what. So really, we try to provide a way in which you can remain as anonymous as you can in the room and share your truth. And once it's out there, then everybody knows that is what's true and somebody said it. And they'll be brave there. But, you know, you also want to, if you step back to the front and you say the ground rules are such that we want you to be transparent, the leader has to say that. I want you to be transparent. And then even we've kicked the leader out of the room. So people can be transparent. You know, there are many ways to get to the truth. And if it doesn't seem like they're getting to it, we, we just kick that leader out. I do. And, and I so once <laughs> you, you get there, right, you've got to the truth, what do you deal with the next step that can happen in a corporate culture where the people start, you know, hot potato, passing the buck um, of who's going to own this unpleasant truth and take responsibility for it? I think uh, the the hardest piece of this, I think, is to um, the blame and shame thing. So uh, when I worked with the city and the city government, right? And in this city, um, there was a lot of blame and shame that happened in the organization. And so I brought in a Brene Brown video and I showed it and I asked people to have a conversation around it before we began the activity so that we understood that we're responsible, right? Um, we're responsible for making the change. And then uh, I, I think you want to reward good behavior. You want to reward people who are going to take on the most challenging things. And so that gets established in the room. So if you, who's willing to take this on and do it and to work with it, right? To get us from where we are to this desired new reality, and uh, sometimes they'll take, you know, we'll set some guiding principles for it or something like this in a visual format. And this is what happened in a recent meeting. One of the women in the room said, I need that guiding principles thing because I think we should laminate that and then bring it into every meeting so that we that thing when it says be nice, that we all look at that before we start the meeting. And then afterwards, we debrief that. And like that's effective meeting management right there in a nutshell. If everybody had some guiding principles and then you reflected on them, right? Now we're back to how do you change your experience? And we want to do it in a visual way. So it's right there in front of us, right? So that we can't miss out on that picture of success and what it will take to get there. 
And how are you managing the discomfort within a group of not knowing the specifics of how you're going to get there and all the answers as to what it will look like? I mean, when, when you're doing it individually, that's a, a big enough challenge. But when you're in a group where that is even a more uncomfortable place to be, how, how do you manage that through that process of, of this, that space in between? Yeah, I think this piece, I think that's the piece about being transparent, right? We want to talk about that, that this is going to feel uncomfortable. So I, I think about this when you're doing big change. Like, let's say you're putting in an IT system or you're going to business intelligence or you're doing an ERP or SAP thing. These are all like acronyms for um, technology solutions that people often use. Or maybe you're changing, like you're restructuring your organization. Like, God, that stuff in there is murky. And you know that it's going to be a better outcome if you do it. Or you feel like that's one of your bold steps to get there. But you have to know that people are going to feel uncomfortable. And you need to validate that. You need to say that out loud. This change is messy. It really is. And if you want good change, it's super messy. And it's really good when you're in the messiness. Because in the messiness comes the good ideas. In the argument about what's the better idea, you get to a breakthrough place. So you should, I, you know, to me, I, I think the best organizations are where people, they disagree in a way that is, that, uh, you know, they disagree without being disagreeable. They're constructive. Yeah. So that we can disagree about this, but I'm not going to make you wrong and me right in the disagreement. We're going to look at it and we're going to we're going to hash it out. Well, what if that happened? What if that happened? You know, you can feel the difference between a positive engagement where we're discussing and hashing things out and a negative one where somebody's mean in the room or they're trying to make you wrong or bad or they're attached to their idea because they did it before and now you would be changing it. Like let's say HR had spent, you know, years working on this org chart to get it just right. And now we realize, hey, we had to lay off a bunch of people. We're going to have to do something else. And they're like, but the old org chart worked really well. So we're attached to it because it's fearful. The workload can be fearful. And also what that change looks like is going to be fearful. And sometimes that change might mean your job is eliminated too. So it, it's tough, I think. To be well, in business. Well, in the dialogue, there's dialogue and discourse that's interest-based rather than positional, right? So people exactly. are, are around a, a common interest. Yes. So, so it's collaborative. We're, we're in it together. So in our last few minutes, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about capturing group genius and doing that within these corporate settings or organizational settings. And then I want to take it a step further and scale it up to, to, to a global scale. Because I thought a lot about this tool, this process and this tool um, of creating the future and th that it's a projective tool. And we've talked quite a bit about the space, you know, dealing with the space in between the, the current and the desired. But the idea that we are all participating um, and in, in this larger community, this global community, um, and our relationship to humanity and sort of utilizing this tool to create the future that we want to see. Yeah. I, um, and then, yeah, so part of it is I've been 
thinking a lot about what gets represented in terms of genius. And there are some amazing women doing some amazing things right now that are scientists who are fantastic. And one of them is a woman, Natalie Jeremanjenko, who's in, at NYU, and she's working with environmental things. She's an artist and engineer, and she runs this impatient lab, impatient, for people who are impatient with the environment to come up with solutions together. And so all of her students really in her think tank come up with these innovative ways to have dialogue. And so in the room full of people that you are in your organization, you want to figure out how to create some impatience around what the current state is so that you get to that which is better. And one of the simple ways to do it is to ask people to give you their ideas about how things could be improved on any level, on any piece of what you're working on. And then you take those ideas and you actually do things with them, work with them, give them the power and authority to move things forward into that newer future, into the place that you want. And when you're working with extroverts and introverts together, it's important that you allow them to think a little first on their own before they start to give you their ideas. And so in, in the case of using a big mapping process with a room, I always give everybody a pad of post-its and a Sharpie and say, I want you to come up with your own one per post-it note to put up here in this desired new reality. And then let's share together um, as a small group first and then as a larger group so that we're all in it. And and that we look at the system of the world that we're in. You know, we're always wanting to look at what impact are we making as a company, as an organization, and how can we move things forward? Even if we're, you know, at one of the big um, companies that are, you know, like Procter & Gamble, their whole platform now, or Pepsi, her whole platform now, Indra's, is to, to get people in a place where they're matching the consciousness now that they're bringing healthy products into the world. It makes me think a, a lot about the idea of inviting discomfort because you're inviting it initially in to wake yourself up. You're inviting it in to get yourself to take action. And you're inviting it in to be able to be honest with yourself about what is not working. Yes. And what needs to change. Yeah. And, and you need to be clear on what that is for you so that your experience doesn't just eep out on everybody in your group because you haven't taken care of your own house, right? When you don't set clear boundaries about what's right for you or good for you, then they sort of eep out and it becomes your platform, quote unquote, in the room. So in order to be clear and clean, you have to do your own homework. You have to look at your how you are in the world, who you are in the world, build your confidence about showing up in meetings. If you're a woman, show up big, you know, risk, fail forward way more than you would uh, think that you would need to because you want to get your ideas out. And so for everybody to practice that, um, showing up, cleaning house, and then going into the room. 
um, with the idea that you will contribute something to the greater good. So I'm thinking about this back and forth between the individual and then the group and the individual's participation in the group and then the sort of organization, whatever it may be itself, having its own identity and that carrying forward. So after you've done a workshop or a meeting, how does this continue to breathe and continue to move forward? Well, a couple of things happen. One is <clears throat> there's always a plan, right? Because without a plan, there is no future. <laughs> and without history, you don't really know where you are. So we try to put it in the context of what's happened, but also there's a lead behind. So for me, I think it's important to always draw everything that happens, like do a post-mortem if you had something happen um, in your team or you want to move forward. And uh, it's a great concept that Microsoft often employs, you know, these post-mortems after any kind of event so that they know, like, what they learned from that. How could they grow from that? And so do that process. And then, but also, if you're capturing things in the room in a visual format, put them on the wall. Put them where you can see them. Scan the map. That's what often people do. And then they, they send them to everybody, and they print them out. And they hang them in their workstation if they have it or they put them on their desktop so they can always look at the picture of where they're going and stay aligned to that. And then when it's ready to change, you can either cover up the thing that you've already done with cover-up tape and write something new or um, modify it right on the map itself. I like the idea of cover-up tape. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking hard and fast about cover-up tape and how I can use that in my life going forward. I love that. Well, Patty, it was so wonderful speaking with you today. Thank you so you much too, for Ellen. coming on Thank to the show Thank you for again. having this me. This is such a pleasure. Awesome.